before Rosh Hashanah. Not the custom today, but it always was the custom to wear white clothing the night before, the day before Rosh Hashanah. The reason for this custom is because we need to express our absolute trust in God that He's going to give us a good and sweet year. And by wearing the celebratory garments, the wearing the white clothing, that they were positive that Hashem is going to give them all of their heart's desires for good. Although this isn't the custom nowadays to actually wear white clothing, but definitely we have to have uh, positive and happy thoughts in our heads, in our minds, in our hearts as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah. This is very in sync with the Bali Emiladas, the, the one whose birthday is tonight, it's Simach Tzedek, who taught the famous teaching Think good and it will be good. And the Tzimach teaching is not only about, um, about uh, a simple way of looking at life, think good and it will be good. Tzimach teaching actually is very profound. As the Rebbe explained in many occasions, the, how this teaching, Tzimach actually um, gives new understanding in the entire text of Chavis Lavavis, Duties of the Heart and Gate of Trust. So on that note, I want to share with you tonight two stories. The first is a story of the Semach Tzedek, and the second is a more contemporary story on, the, on this subject. There was a chassid of the Semach Tzedek who was in the lumber industry, and he uh, would go uh, for many months a year to Polotsk. There in Polotsk, he would visit there during the winter and he would chop he would oversee the uh, forest that he had bought the chopping down the trees and when winter would um, end and the, the, the trees would thaw out so then he would have his workers make the, the these logs into rafts and they would send them up river and then he could sell those logs uh, for firewood and this chassid had to spend quite a lot of time in Polotsk. And during this time, he struck up a friendship with another elderly man who visited a synagogue in this, in this, in this uh, remote town in Polotsk. And this elderly man was a very um, erudite, very knowledgeable Torah scholar. And they spent time studying Torah together. And besides studying Torah, uh, this man had a lot of questions that he had about Judaism. Besides studying Torah, he studied a lot of other philosophical works. And these, this philosophy he studied really brought him to have lots of doubts about God and about Torah. And he really was, um, it was heartwarming for him to meet this chassid who was so proud and so strong in his emuna. And the chassid was able to resolve a lot of his doubts, but it wasn't like he was doubt-free. It was more like he had time to talk about his doubts. And it was a time to... It was sort of very therapeutic for him to address them, but it wasn't like he was rid of the doubts. Anyways, it came time for the chassid to return home. Passover was approaching. And he told his friend, this elderly man, you know, I'm, I'm leaving home for Pesach and I'm going to miss you. And the elderly man burst out in tears. He says, what about me? I mean, you're going to go home. Who's going to answer my questions? So the chassid said, I tell you, I'll tell you what to do. You should visit Tzemach Tzedek. Go to Tzemach Tzedek. And he will be able to address your questions a different way that I cannot. And this, will, this is the best advice I can give you. So the chassid returned to Polotsk. I'm sorry, he returned home. 
And he decided, after turning home, shortly after Passover, it had been a while since he had visited Tzemach Tzedek, he's going to go visit Tzemach Tzedek for the holiday of Shavuos. He comes to the Tzemach Tzedek on the holiday of Shavuos, and who does he meet there? He meets this elderly man. This elderly man taps him on the shoulder, you remember me? And he told the Chassid how he had visited Tzemach Tzedek and how, how meaningful his exchange with Tzemach Tzedek was. What happened, the Chassid asked. I mean, they, they had, this, had you know, thousands of hours of conversation about fundamental issues in, in faith. He wanted to know what Tzemach Tzedek had told this man because he, he was visibly um, excited about the exchange out of Tzemach Tzedek. So he asked the man, what happened? So he said, I went to Tzemach Tzedek and I asked him the questions that I had about Judaism, about philosophy, the books I had read. And the Tzemach Tzedek simply replied, the sages in the Talmud Abaya and Rava, they didn't have these questions. Why should you? That's all Tzemach Tzedek said. The sages of the Talmud didn't have these questions. Why do you have these questions? And somehow, those words Tzemach Tzedek struck a chord in his heart, and he was, re- he was relieved from all of his doubts. Somehow, the Rebbe was able to connect to his neshama and to reveal the imuna, the faith in Hashem, that he had deep within himself. So on that note, I want to share a more contemporary story not a story of a tzaddik and a tzaddik is able to reveal the muna of a person's heart, but a story of a simple person like us and how he dealt with incredible challenges in a way that um, you could all learn from and in a way that we could all see and especially relevant tonight, night before Shoshana, as you'll see how, wide, how relevant it is. I read the story in the Mishpacha magazine in the 25th of El issue this year. The story goes like this. There was a Chabad rabbi who he and his family needed a new home. Their family was growing and they were living in a home that they had purchased, but they needed to buy something bigger. Their family was growing and they were really trying to find something, but nothing was coming up that was that suited all their needs. They had to have a large place for guests. They invite always guests every, every week. They need, they need to have a place that was close enough to their Chabad center and enough to, to um, the bedrooms for their family. And so an idea came up, Rosh Hashanah time, but it fell through. Another idea came up, you saw on Zillow, a perfect home in Cholmite Sukkot. He and his wife were discussing, ah, this home would be the perfect home for us. It was, it was right about the bedrooms, right distance, a large dining room, exactly what they wanted. So Baruch Hashem, Within two weeks, they, had, they were in contract, and three weeks after they made the initial offer, they were approved for a mortgage. He asked his grandfather for a bridge loan of $200,000. Basically, he wanted to sell his home, but not under pressure. He wanted to fix up his home first, and then be able to um, uh, sell his home for a profit, and then use that money towards the expense of buying this new home. But in the interim, he needed to borrow money, so he shouldn't be under pressure, and so his grandfather lent him $200,000. This, this um, uh, was, going, was going well, and they were set to close on the new house on Thursday, December 30th of this past year. On Tuesday, December 21st, his lawyer sent him an email telling him that he wants him to send him a, a to wire $136,000 to his account so that he could have all the money in his escrow account for the day of closing. So that way all the money will be there, safe and ready to go, and there won't be any headaches on the day of, of the closing. Okay? 
So the um, he gets he gets the email on Tuesday, December twenty first, and he goes the next day to the bank and he arranges the wire to his lawyer. On Friday, December twenty fourth, an hour before candlelighting time, he gets an email from his lawyer. The lawyer says, "Please prepare the checks for the payments that we're going to give in clothing on December thirtieth, so there won't be so everything will be all set up." For one second. He, he, he asked his lawyer, I just, I just wired you the money. What are you talking about? And the lawyer is confused too. And he realized in a second that he had sent the money to a crook. So the blood drained from his face. He had heard of scams that had happened to other people, but he, he just sent $136,000 away. And can lighting time was in 27 minutes. It was 3.45. It was Friday afternoon. What's he going to do? So he ran to Chase Bank, the bank that he sent the wire from, but the bank had already closed for the holiday weekend. He ran to Bank of America, the bank that he had sent the wire to, and that bank was also closed for the holiday weekend. So he called the police. He told the police, I only have, at my Sabbath is starting, can you send someone over quickly, please, because my Sabbath is about to begin and, and I can't really do anything when Sabbath start, once the Sabbath starts. And uh, he goes home, and he's, of course, you know, all these thoughts racing to his head. Why is God doing this to me? How come this is happening? What am I doing wrong? God, I just said I had all these debts I was I had before this past year. I finally climbed out of my debts. I finally became financially responsible. What I'm doing? What are you doing? Why is this happening to me? That's what he's thinking. He walks into the home, and his wife had already lit Shabbos candles. And he ran up to the bedroom to empty out his pockets from all the muktza things, things he's not allowed to hold on to on Shabbos. And his wife immediately sensed that something was wrong. And she went up to the bedroom. She asked him what happened. He told her believe briefly what had happened. And he said with absolute confidence, some confidence within himself, we're going to buy this house. God is in charge. And this is going to happen. The police arrive. He goes outside the house, talks to the policeman for a couple minutes. The policeman asked him, when did the wire go out? This morning or the afternoon? So he told the officer it went out two days ago. So the officer's face changed. He's like, there's nothing you can do now. So it's gone. If it went out today, it's possible to do something. But once the wire has gone out two days before, there's nothing you can do. He said, I'm sorry, we'll be in touch on Monday. Okay, he goes back into his house. His family's waiting for him. Guests are about to arrive. And Shabbos is starting and he just says to his family, to his wife, to his children, now is Shabbos, and Hashem will help us, and we have to focus on the gift of Shabbos. So focus on the gift that God is giving us now. It's a test, and Hashem is sending us, and with tears in their eyes, they were talking about together the difference between Emuna and Bitachan. Emuna and Bitachan are very similar ideas, but Bitachan is a higher level. Bitachan is not just you Betachem means you put yourself in God's hands and you expect, without making any, any calculations, that God will give you good in a way you could see it with your eyes. That's what Betachem means. So lean on God without any calculations. You deserve, you don't deserve, you know how, you don't know how. Betachem means you lean on God without any calculations whatsoever and you say God will for sure help. And the very fact that you lean on God in that way, that itself opens up all the pipelines of blessing. Benevolence shared a story on this on this uh, subject. He said there was a, a great tzaddik when he was a child. He wanted to um, have an apple. 
And his father said it wasn't time to have an apple. So his father had no choice but to give him, give him the apple. In a similar way, the very fact that we lean on God without him making any calculations, that we're sure God will help us, that itself opens up all the channel of blessing. Anyways, after the sh- that night, um, guests arrive, and he is in his best. He is a rabbi. He's talking to them, talking about you know Torah concepts. In fact, one woman at the, at the table was so inspired that she decided then and there she's going to send her children to a Jewish school. And Shabbos was great. A 25-hour oasis ends. And now he gets in touch with anyone he, he thinks could possibly have any, could help him in any way. Calls, texts, emails, WhatsApp, and everyone has the same refrain. And that is, I wish you would have called last week right after the wire was sent, but right now it's just too late. They prayed and they prayed and trying to think of ways to bring down God's blessings. They remembered there was a mezuzah that wasn't in the right place. They remembered that there was that, that they filed their taxes very late, and they hadn't given staka yet from their tax return. They gave some staka. They decided to visit the Rebbe's ohel. Came back from the ohel. He and his wife were talking, and they realized the money isn't coming back. Yeyush, they gave up. But on the other hand, they said to themselves, if the money does come, that means this is brand new money that God is sending, and therefore we have to accept, we, we are obligated. Whenever God sends money, you have to give a part of it to charity. So if money arrives now, we have to give this money to charity. That's what they decide themselves. And so he called up a friend of his who runs an um, organization that helps Chabad rabbis which are, who are in dire straits. And he asked him if he knows of anyone who needs help right now. He says, yes, there's a, there is a Chabad rabbi in, in Russia who's marrying off a child. He has no money for the wedding. He lives in this remote town. And he needs a significant amount of money to, um, to, uh, for the wedding. So he, he said to his wife, if God sends this money to us, can we commit to give 10% of $136,000 to charity? She says, immediately she says yes, not thinking. Of course, this is, if God sends us this money, of course we'll give 10% to charity. But then he remembered something. The Rebbe says, instead of waiting for God to give you something, and then to owe God, why not give the charity in advance? Because the giving charity in advance, first of all, it shows your trust in God, and that itself opens up a channel that the blessing, you should be able to fulfill what you gave. So God gives you back in exchange, when you give stuck in advance, first of all, instead of you being in debt to God because God has given you and now you have to give back, it's much better to put God in debt and therefore give him money in advance. So he put 10% of his pledge, he sent it away, $1,800 to this rabbi, he borrowed the money and he sent the first installment of, of, of the, the money he committed to the wedding, the $13,600, he sent $1,800 immediately. Immediately after he sent the money, he got a, um, a lead on the lost wired money. They learned that an hour after the money had gone to Bank of America, the money went to U.S. Bank. But after their brief elation, they had to now get in touch with the U.S. Bank, and there was a lot of paperwork and back and forth and bureaucracy. So he got in touch with the FBI. The FBI heard the details, and they said, there's nothing you could do. Okay. He, this rabbi started a session studying Shar B'Tachan, Duties of the Heart, Gate of Trust, one of his congregants, and that became for him a lifeline. Trusting in God, trusting God, talking about it, learning about it. And 
if you started to say the truth to himself, how God is completely good, and this situation will be revealed as a good situation sometime very soon. And he sent himself an email just so he could recap and process to himself all the good that had already emerged because of what had happened. Number one, he had an opportunity to internalize the ideas of trusting in God. Number two, he had the opportunity to speak about trusting in God to his family, to his friends, and to his congregants. Number three, he had now gotten in touch with all these government officials and bank representatives, and they're all now involved in helping a rabbi. What a noble thing to be involved in helping the Jewish people. He's engaging other people in doing something good for the Jewish people. Number four, he put back a mezuzah that had fallen down. Number five, the money, he can, other things he realized and he internalized is the money we have today, we have no idea if this money is here more than today. It's all in God's hands. He spoke with his children about trusting a God, and they saw it firsthand how he lived with it. He gave charity. He committed to give 10% of the money that will be returned. And he actually celebrated Shabbos, despite all the challenges. And he connected with his friends because of this. All the good things that he experienced because of this challenge. Anyways, they get an update from U.S. Bank. Within an hour, after they had, this is on December 29th, they get an update from U.S. Bank, and the update is as follows. After, within an hour after they had received the wire, the money was sent to Signature Bank. The problem is, it was sent to a cryptocurrency account. That dashed all hopes, because once money goes into crypto, it's untraceable. Gone. Game over. But he said to himself, no, Hashem, you're in charge. You, you create crypto, you create money, you create... There's no such thing as something which is lost from God. So the night before the closing, he has to come up with $136,000. He calls a bunch of his friends, he tells them what happened, and he manages, to, among his friends, to pull together loans of $136,000, but he has no idea how he's going to pay this money back. More than that, he, um, the day of closing, which is usually you know, a day of celebration, was this cloud of darkness is set in on this, on this whole... Or otherwise would have been a great celebration, right? But they didn't know what they could afford anymore. So when the contractor came um, saying that he wants to now work on fixing up the, the new house as they had agreed, he told the contractor, I don't know what we can afford right now. I can't, it, it, we, we can't go into any other obligations right now. The contra- contractor leaves and they are just like, they don't know what to do. On Thursday, January 6th, more than two weeks after the wire had been sent, his cell phone rings the police detectives on the line. He says, Rabbi, I don't know what you've been doing, but your prayers have been answered. And so we found your money. He says, don't repeat this story because the story will never happen again. Anyone the story will happen to, God forbid, they will not experience what you experience. For some reason, which is unexplainable, the money never turned into cryptocurrency. It stayed as cash in the account. It wasn't transferred to crypto. I don't know how to explain it, but we have your money. And your money's coming back to you. So he immediately called his wife, tears in his eyes, tell her the good news, and he wired and he uh, PayPal the eleven thousand eight hundred dollars that he had committed for the wedding expenses, besides the eighteen hundred they had sent already. They could breathe again. And Baruch Hashem, now they are uh, ready to go into their new house with, with joy. But six weeks passes. The constru- construction was almost done in the new house. And they're almost all packed and ready to move in. 
and one of his sons was home from yeshiva, and he decided to take a son with him to the new house so they, they could see the progress. When he comes in, unbelievable. A pipe had broken. The new floors, the living room, the dining room were ruined. The pipe, the water had, had filled the, the basement, the, the bottom floor, with water. It's totally submerged in water. And what does he do now? The contractor comes, the contractor closed the pipe. He calls his broker, his insurance broker, to find out what he could do. The insurance broker says, says laughing at him. He says, listen, when you, um, your insurance doesn't cover this because insurance only works for um, when you're living in a home. But before you live in the home, if, if it takes more than 30 days for you to move in the home, the insurance will not cover you. So it's, it's called a, um, a, a, it's not an owner-occupied residence. It's not an owner-occupied residence. Insurance will not cover you. So you call the public adjuster. The public adjuster said, listen, the, the insurance is going to deny this. But if you want, you can hire me. And the most will get is $10,000. All right? That's not to do. He called the public adjuster. And the public adjuster um, said, meanwhile, if you want me to work on this, you have to stop um, all construction because the insurance has to see the way things are now for three weeks, no more work. Three weeks, no work. What's going on during these three weeks? During these three weeks, there's mold and everything's getting ruined. And he can't, um, and, and he has no money to, to pour into this house. His money is all tied, all of his money that was tied up and other things is now to be direct, is to stop all the other things that, that, that his family had needed and to put it in to fixing the home. So uh, he and his wife discussed this together and they agreed that there's no way in nature that there's going to be any money coming from the insurance. And this is a brand new gift of God when, if money will ever come. And they committed to give 10% of whatever is going to be, if, if, if they do get any money for insurance, to go to it stuck. The restoration company and the contractor finished what they could do. They could move into the house before Passover. During this time, he said, I was wondering what more can I do to bring on blessings of God? He remembered something. The Rebbe says that before Shoshana, day before Shoshana, especially Shabbos before Shoshana, that a person should direct their prayers to their charity. And they should think about the amount of money that they want to make in the current year, in the coming year. And they should decide they're going to give that amount of money, the 10% or 20% of the money that they want to, um, they should decide what they want to give. And based upon the decision of giving tzedakah, God will bless them to make five times or 10 times the amount of money that they decide to give. So he had, the year before, 2021 Rosh Hashanah, last year Rosh Hashanah, this rabbi, he looked through his, his, his uh, different kinds of side jobs that he had and money that had come in, and he had, was able to give $20,000 to stock. Oh, wow, that's a lot of money. He was, he was very surprised to give so much. And he sent himself an email to a reminder they should do the same thing and write again a letter to the Rebbe, making commitment to Hashem to give Stucca again this year, Erev Rosh Hashanah. But then, he said to himself, listen, Hashem is unlimited. Last year, 2021, before all this happened, he wrote, that, he sent himself an email, he sent a letter that he should want to be able to commit to give $40,000 to Tzedakah, twice as much as how much he gave last year. So when he said it, he didn't know how he would possibly do it. It's not, not something in his means. But he already had given, because of, the, of all these events, he, he had given, he already given halfway, one is well on his way, to giving his, his uh, commitment. So he gets 
back word from the insurance that somehow they're going to pay for pay for this. They're going to pay fifty-one thousand dollars. After giving the adjuster five thousand dollars, his cut, he's left with forty-six thousand dollars, and of that he gives forty-six hundred to Meiser, to Tzaka, and to, so now they're well on the road on the road to fulfilling the goal of what he had pledged. All you need to do now is sell the old house. So the old house needed some work before they could put it on the market. And they could only put that in the market once they moved in, which of course took a lot of extra time because of the problems in the new house. So they finally moved out the week before Passover into the new house. And right after Yanta, the contractor visits them and tells them, listen, I thought it would take X amount of time to do this job. It's take much, much longer. They were hoping to sell the house for $630,000 which would pay the mortgage and the closing costs and leave them with some profit, but the work was taking a long time. And as the week, weeks progressed and the, and the work progressed, the, the market kept going higher and higher. So when everything was ready at the end of May, they put on the market for far beyond what, their, what they originally thought their asking price was going to be, they put it on the market for $775,000. It's gonna be great, but they waited, nothing. May, June, July, seven Thomas of crickets. Nothing's happening. So he kept on learning duties of the heart, gate of trust. He kept trying to internalize the idea that you can't earn a dollar more than God has ordained for you. You can't earn it a day earlier than God has ordained for you. And he knew somehow, because of his pledge year before, that this is going to work out before Shashan. And Baruch Hashem, sure enough, um, a few hours before the nine days begins, they get an offer for the $720,000, $90,000 more than their dream price for their house. And best of all, the guy who bought it wanted to close within 30 days. So after all the dust settled, the profit on the house was $200,000 which meant another $20,055 to Tzedakah. The amount that he asked God last of Shashan to be able to give the charity had become a reality. So now, thinking about this whole story, night before Rosh Hashanah, let's make a decision this year to give tzedakah every month, as much as we can, and to write down a amount that we want to give this year. And in that merit, Hashem will surely help us be able to give what we decided to give and more. And uh, trusting in Hashem, and absolutely, and the main thing is not the money, the main thing is that we need to have a good and sweet year with really good and really sweet meat, which means the coming of Mashiach. May Hashem help that we should see the emiss of goodness, the true goodness and sweetness of the coming year already today, and come to go tonight to Shalayim with Mashiach Tzakeinu, and the merit of all the good decisions that each of us will make tonight to add in our charity and plan and write to the Rebbe what you plan to give this year, and that's Chus, we should already see the good immediately. A good and